Welcome to Christ Church Anglican. We hope that you were blessed by today's sermon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, the room of people that are here. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move upon this place, that your word would be living and active and would pierce deep into our souls. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, and it's in your strong name that we pray. Amen. Well, I am excited um, to get to do this. It's always fun for me um, to be here. So, I, I don't know if you remember this, and this may be shocking to some of you that um, were born a little bit later um, than I was, but there used to be these things, and they were called maps. And I don't know if you remember that, but they were, they were these big things of paper, and you'd fold them up, and you could unfold them. You know, and it always seemed like they always tore at the wrong spot, so you'd like have a hole on the street that was supposed to go. And that's how you got around. And I know it's hard to believe, because now we have these little things in our pockets. You can type in an address, and boom, you're there. You can get to wherever you're going, step-by-step directions. And, I mean, it avoids all of the fights in the car. Not that there ever were those. I'm just saying some people didn't get along well with the maps and all of that. I'm just, maybe. And then when you lived in Houston, yeah, I'm not saying anything. I'm just, I've heard about these things called fights in a car over a map and where you're going. So, Can we bring Mary Jane up, please? No, she doesn't want to talk at all. Um, so, but really, it was kind of this crazy thing. We lived in Houston, and then they give you a whole book. Then you're like, I'm going to go to G7 to find one street. And, you know, it's just this crazy ordeal. And, and I grew up in a town of 300 people. And so when you live in Anderson, Texas, with 300 people, getting around is not so hard. You, you start driving when you're about 12 because there's no other cars in town. Um, and you drive on dirt back roads. You don't really go anywhere. I mean... Really, I'm not kidding. If there's two cars that hit the intersection at the same time in Anderson, Texas, it's a parade. And people kind of stop and everyone claps for you. I mean, that's, that is the world that I grew up in, and you just knew how to get places. Well, you know, you get a little more brave, you get your license, which is really important. Don't, kids, if you don't have your license, don't drive. Um, that's just a public service announcement I'm giving right now. But you, we got to go into the big town, the big city of Navasota, Texas, which was 5,000 people. So, you know, that, they had stoplights and everything. And so we got to learn how to drive like that. And then you get a little bolder. You go a little further from home. You start going places. And then we decided we were going to go into Houston. Well, it's the fourth largest city in the country, and Anderson, Texas is no metropolis. And driving in Houston is a lot harder than driving in Anderson. And for some reason, you kind of go in a caravan, and everyone wants to drive their own car. And so you're supposed to follow someone. And following someone, you kind of realize, one, is the closer you get to the city, I kind of realize, hey, I'm not very good at this. I really probably shouldn't be driving. I'm not sure I should be now, but I really shouldn't have been driving then. And tell me, I, I don't understand this, but it turns into a competition. Because you've got a friend who's driving, and they're the ones that are going to lead the way. And they start driving, and they're cutting in and out of things. And before you know it, you're lost. And back then, you don't have addresses. You don't ever think of that. So you, and you probably don't have a map, and you find yourself in this place of, I am trying to follow someone, and I am lost, and I have no idea how I'm going to get somewhere. I don't know where I'm supposed to be, um, and I, I, I don't like this. I don't like being lost. I don't like having directions. I don't like not knowing how to get somewhere, 
The other lesson in, that I kind of get from all of this is if you're leading, you have to lead in a way that cares for the person that's following. You have to allow them to keep up with you. You have to go at a pace that they can understand. You have to understand where they are in their skills. We have to have direction. We have to have a roadmap. We have to have a way to get where we're going. Without it, we get desperately lost with nowhere to go. And this is what I want to talk about in our passage today from Mark. Um, Because I think that in these six verses, it is incredibly packed. Mark is the shortest gospel, and we know that everything that him is kind of to the point, every description, he is going to this place very quickly. Immediately, is said in Mark, I don't know how many times. Immediately they went. Immediately they did this. And if we set the scene, we know that Jesus has been baptized. He's already been out into the wilderness. He's come back, and he's beginning his ministry. He has come back into this place to start. And it says in Mark, that he comes into Galilee and he proclaims the gospel of God and he's saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So think about what's happened kind of in the world at that point. That They've been waiting for their savior, their king to come. I mean, it's been hundreds of years since the last, the last prophet has spoken. There is a sense of, what are we doing? When's our king coming? And Jesus walks into this place and says, the kingdom is at hand. I am here. God with skin on is here. The kingdom is here on earth. And then he says some things that are really important that I don't want you to miss. He says to repent. Now, repentance is not just saying, hey, I'm sorry. I did something bad. It's not just that. Repentance is turning 180 degrees from the direction you're going, 180 degrees towards God. So he says, repent. And then he says, believe. Believe in the gospel, the good news. Historically, the gospel would come into a city after a war. They'd have people in the towers and they'd wait. And they could see someone running into the city to report what had happened. And then they would run down. They could tell by the pace if it was good news or bad news. And the gospel news was this, the good news that's coming. But this is the good news of the king that's come to earth. The Savior is here. Yes, they were expecting probably someone a little bit different than the way Jesus looked. But here he is. But it says to believe. Repent, to turn away from where the direction you were going. And to believe in this, that that's who he is. Maybe it's all order. Sometimes it's hard for all of us to have belief like that. But the truth of it is, is that's what we're called to. That's what we're called to do, is to believe. Not just have an encounter at one time, or there's this one time, but to follow. That it causes you to move towards God. In this, first, this passage, there's so much. And we kind of get to the next part of this, and it's going, these fishermen, and they, Jesus is along the shore, and he calls them, and they follow. They drop everything they have, and they follow him. They follow Jesus. I mean, and you've got to know that these weren't just guys who were, like, not a guy with a cane pole and a bobber. These were fishermen, commercial fishermen. These guys had a business. They were with their family. They had a livelihood. 
It was one of the most fertile fishing lakes or seas in the world at that point. And they had a business, probably somewhat thriving. They weren't just these destitute fishermen on the side of the shore that just needed something to follow. They had a business. They were with their father. They had people who worked for them. So they were fishermen. But they weren't just these lowly fishermen. They were ordinary. And that gives me such great hope because just like the fishermen that got called that were imperfect and not all together, he called the ordinary. And I think I take great solace in that because I'm kind of the ordinary. So it goes on to say that we need to repent. These are some of the things, the marks. It's the repent. It's the believe. The other thing that this passage is beginning to teach us is that it teaches us about fellowship. Jesus could have done it on his own. Jesus didn't really, I mean, he's God. He didn't really have to come, did he? I mean, but he called others to be with him. Immediately, he called two others to come with him. These guys are on their shore. They're cleaning out their nets. They're with their father, and he says, come and follow me. There's a fellowship. First, there's two, and pretty soon after that, there's four, and then there's 12, and then there's the 72, and then to the ends of the earth, and here we are today. It's this call to fellowship, even at the beginning. It's a call to an exclusive allegiance. There can be nothing greater than God. That their first and only obedience, this obedience that caused them to follow, is to God, and to go where he leads them, willing to follow no matter what the cost. And with that, we have to count the cost. What were they giving up? Their livelihood. They were giving up who they were to follow Jesus. It is one of those things that I'm so moved in this deep obedience. These guys going, I'm coming. I'm dropping my nets. I'm dropping what I know. And there's also the part that just fills me and goes, am I willing to do that in my life? Am I willing to follow without kind of recklessly with out abandoned because I believe in who this says that he's given us life, real life, and they follow. So there's cost. What is Zebedee thinking as his sons walk away? And the servants, he's left with the servants to help. What's happening? And then the, the next is the call to serve. He didn't just say, hey, come watch me. You're going to like this. He doesn't need an entourage. He didn't. But he called them to be a part of it. He called them and allowed them to be a part of this ministry. They are serving. They understood that. They're willing to serve. All of these things are these marks that we need to cling to, that we need to look at in our own lives. Are we a disciple? Are these the parts of discipleship that are a little scary, a little bigger? I think they, in these few short verses, there's a few questions that we kind of have to answer. Am I a disciple? Am I following? We've got a leader, but am I following? Not just interested or just looking for something in our lives, but knowing that we've made a decision to follow Jesus, am I really following? Is my life being transformed? He didn't come to leave us the way we are. The thing that I love about this passage is he's calling fishermen, and he makes them a promise about who they'll become. That God sees us not for the way that we see ourselves or the way that we think we need to be. He sees us for where he's going to 
take us, what he's going to make us into. Not as we think we should be, but as he sees us. And finally, are others following? And there's a few things that I want you to hear that are lessons, clear instructions that come out of this. There's four of these. Um, Making disciples requires patience, just like fishing. Think about that. You take a kid that's four fishing, and it, I, I'd say you probably have about two and a half minutes of, of actual good fishing time before they're completely bored and it's the worst thing ever. Because they're not catching anything, it ain't fun, and they're not doing it very much longer. It takes patience. You got to know the places to go. It doesn't just happen. These fishermen knew this. I mean, they're cleaning their nets. In the other gospel, it says they hadn't even caught anything that night. They know that it is a task. It's work. And they go in every day, and they have to throw it in, throw in their nets, and sometimes they catch and sometimes they don't. But they have to go, and it takes patience. It's not something that you throw it out once, and, hey, we caught our fish, we're done for the day. You have to, and the fishermen knew that. Being a fisherman requires that we go where the fish are. If you go fishing every day and you go to the same little pool, you're probably going to stop catching fish. Just a fact. You've got to go. The conditions may not be the same every day. There's so many variables. And if you go to the same spot over and over and over, you probably aren't going to catch anything. You go where the fish are. And these fishermen knew that. You had to go out. Some days you probably went out in deeper water. Some days you went because of the wind in places that were more sheltered or there wasn't a storm and you stayed closer to shore. All of these things they knew, but they knew they had to go where the fish were. And to be fishers of men, we have to go where the fish are. We have to go where people are. We don't catch if we don't go. It's just a fact. That's what we're called to. That's what Jesus is saying to him when he says, I will make you become fishers of men. I'm going to, you're going to become this. I'm going to make you this. They understood the process of fishing, but they also understood what it means to go out. And that's what he tells them. I'm going to make you that. He's telling us that too. The things that I love about these encounters with Jesus is they are not just caught in this place and time where you go, that's it. That was for them. And that was great. God is calling you now. Even today. The kingdom at hand right now, the Holy Spirit that's in you, he's calling you now. We are to become fishers of men. These encounters that he has with these disciples are the same things and the same encounters that he has with us. I'm telling you, that's part of this is that he's making us into these servants that walk alongside of him. There's this proximity to him as he he leads us. We follow and we have to stay close. Jesus came on a macro level to save the world, and he wanted these guys. He recruited them to go be a part of it with him. We must make adjustments to continue to catch fish, or in this instance, people. People are not going to come to us. It'd be crazy if you're a fisherman and you threw out a net and go, fill it up, guys. Come on in. Swim on into my nets. We need you. We're just going to throw it out there, and it'll fill up. It doesn't work that way. For the people around us as in our community, if we're not throwing nets, they're, they're not going to come. We're not going to have catch. That's what we're called to, to be a part of this world, to be salt and light in a world around us. What a great, amazing, unbelievable gift that God's given us. 
Each of us has a place. Not everyone's going to get up here and, and talk, but everyone's got a place that God's gifted you uniquely and called you where you are uniquely, where you work, where you live. That the, There are fishing spots all over the place. Are you going to them? Are you throwing out your net? Because I think that's what we're called to do. They're not just going to come. It's not like one of those weird little things when you're a kid and you go to a fair and you know you're putting the fish in and something hooks on it for you and then you pull it out and like, caught something. It doesn't work that way. No one's putting the fish on for you. We have to go out into the world. And where are you going to go? Work, neighborhood, school. Does it mean that you have to be someone that proselytizes all the time? No. You have to be someone that shows up, that there's presence, that there's relationship, that we have compassion and care for people, regardless of where they are. Jesus was able to look at them. He knew their story. He knew who they were. As he went to Matthew and called us this, or Levi, he calls this tax collector. He knows his story, but he also knows who he's going to become. Who are you going to become, and what has God got for you? We, um, making a disciple is a process. I do love the language that it says, become fishers of men, that we are becoming that. God is making you into this. It takes time, and it takes stages. The disciples didn't get it all right. If you read through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you see a bunch of guys who are pretty flawed. He didn't get everything all at once. They're still learning, and part of this is learning, but it's just like when I was following someone. If they had greater skills and they got far ahead, man, I was just lost. We've got to start with a place where we stay close. We know how to get where we're going. We don't get lost on the way, and we do that by following who's leading us, and that's Jesus. God is making you into this, takes the stages. Are we praying for God to reshape our hearts and mind? What are the things right now that that stir your heart, the places to serve, the people that you're around, where does your heart break? Who does it break for? We're all without a Savior spiritually bankrupt. We're all in the same place without a Savior. And where do we go to be able to offer life and hope through Jesus Christ? Are you leading others? Are you walking with them? Are you building relationships? Are you entering into their world? It's what Jesus did. He was the incarnation of the Heavenly Father. He came and he walked around and he lived with people. And there's something so beautiful about this idea of walking on the road when he calls them and immediately they go do things. And yes, they see Jesus begin to heal the sick and they're a part of that. And they feed 5,000 and they're a part of that. And he allows them to be a part of it. But they also walked on the road for three years together. How many breakfasts did they have by the shore of the lake? How many times did they just sit around and talk? How many times did they pray? How many times did they talk about things and ask questions? How much of the time was being friends, being brothers? So much of our relationships that we build don't have to just be because someone's fun to hang out with, but because there's substance and depth. There's people that hurt, and we have the ability to offer them something that's so much greater than anything else they could ever grab a hold of.
Being or making a disciple means submitting to Jesus' authority. They were willing. They knew that by following him, they were going to be his servants. This is a rabbi that is recruiting them, bringing them along. They knew that there was a part of this that was serving. And we know that too. That there, it takes obedience. It takes submission. It takes us being willing to follow where Jesus takes us, even when it's hard. I got to spend almost 30 years doing something that I loved in ministry, and one of the hardest days of my life was when I knew that God was telling me to walk away. It's time. Sometimes it goes beyond what we want, what's easy, what's safe, because there's nothing safe or practical or easy about a group of guys walking away from their father and their livelihood and their worlds to follow Jesus. I'm not telling all of you to quit your jobs. Don't do that. But are you willing to submit? Are you willing to follow? Even when it's hard, even when it's not practical, even when it's painful. How we live our lives is a great indicator of if we are submitting with our time and our talents and our resources and with the way we care for others. So my question that I leave you with is, are you a disciple? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you staying close to who's leading you? Let me pray. Father, thank you um, for this morning. Again, thank you for the ability to get to um, be here with friends. Thank you for your word, and thank you for the ways that um, you reshape our lives to be more in the image of yours. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, feel free to visit us online at ccanglican.com. We hope you will join us again soon.